2: Hi, friends. Welcome back to Barb Knows Best, the podcast. I just got a look because I was super high-pitched. You were in that little, beautiful, fun, girly voice. You know, I was trying to really portray my enthusiasm, but I don't know how much of an enthusiastic girly I really am, so.
3: You're very, you are very.
2: Welcome to Barb Knows Best, the podcast, I guess, if I didn't already say that, which I probably did, but I'm your co-host, Michelle Maros, and I am here with my mom, Barb, and we are absolutely thrilled to be back in another conversation together and with you and with all of us about life. Hi, Hi. mom. Hi, Michelle. Did that intro get you put your pep in your step for yeah. this episode?
3: Yeah, I'm excited about this episode as I am with every episode. I think I say that every single week. She she sure does. And this is a part two of last week's episode. So it's really, really cool because we're going to be taking the questions that you sent in to us and going into our experiences yes. of all the things that you're asking. So I'm really excited about it. Yes. So if you listened to last week's
2: episode, we had the deep desire and intention to go through the Q and A that we elicited from you all. And you also graciously sent in your questions and in true Barb fashion, we got stuck at one and, or like she says, cause she just gave me a look three, three and one. Well, we,
3: <laughs> yes, we, yes, we, these three questions were about our relationship and yes. it was, you know, nothing I like better than talking about our relationship and all the things that have made us where we are today. So So true, bestie. It did. It almost took a whole hour.
2: So, if you are someone who asked about our relationship, we have a whole episode on it, and if you didn't listen to it, it's last week. And you'll love it. Which if you didn't ask about that and you don't care about our relationship, good news, we're not going to talk about it at all this week.
3: Yes, we have all of your questions in front of us.
2: Yeah. So, we are going to be diving into it as always. We're going to try and get through as many as we can, but if we don't get to yours, we will incorporate it into another episode or another Q&A. So don't be discouraged. And of course, thank you so much for sending them all in. We're super, super grateful for your interaction and trust in us to tackle some of these because you all are super vulnerable and super open and and truthful and trustworthy. Like I'm just blown away by your questions and your trust in us to, to have a discussion about some of these questions. So thank you so much again for that. What a lovely community.
3: So grateful, so grateful and so blessed.
2: Hashtag blessed.
3: Yes. Let's get to it.
2: Alrighty. A bit of a easy, we'll ease our way in. Cause I, as we were going through them, I looked at you and I said, there's some there's some toughies in here.
3: So and I think that's what is so what you said, Michelle, is so beautiful. That is what is so wonderful about this community is you all do ask the most important questions to you at the any given moment in time in life. And we really appreciate your vulnerability and, and your trust and knowing that this is a safe space and we are gonna share our own personal examples and our own personal view of how we have managed to get through life. Some of these questions, because certainly I would say every single question that is here at some point, we, one of us or both of us have been through a similar situation. So,
2: Well, I do what is always so comforting and healing and reassuring about soliciting Q&As is that it does, even if I'm not, like you said, going through a specific question that's happening that we get asked, it does make me feel like we all are, not to sound cheesy, in this together because we all experience these things and we're, we truly aren't alone. And your question that you ask is likely something that maybe somebody else felt a little too fearful to ask. So you're helping somebody else by putting it out there and we're all learning with each other. So it's really beautiful. Wow, this is like a... Nice. A Hallmark card. It was nice. (laughs) So. alrighty. So we got quite a few questions about relationship with self and cultivating a a good self-love, friendship, caring, kind relationship with self. And one of the biggest aspects of that that we had a question about is just really how to feel comfortable being alone. And I really, really loved this question because I've spent a lot of my relatively short life like cult or contemplating solitude and being alone and the difference between being alone and being lonely. So I'm super jazzed to dive into this topic.
3: Yes, and being an only child. I just remember back when you were growing up, you would said to me, I don't want to say often, but you would say to me, Mom, am I going to be alone my whole life? Or is this is this life? And so I know that this resonates for you deeply. And so why don't you go ahead and start?
2: So my take on this is that of of course, like with everything else, it is a practice because I don't think as a society from being a child, we are taught that it's okay to be alone. I think we're often made to believe that we have to have tons of friends, family all around, constantly Doing, being with people, and that's how you can be happy. Is if you have lots of people around you, and you're always doing stuff. And like you said, I was the only child, so there were often times where I was, you know, alone at home or playing. <laughs> it sounds so sad. Playing by myself or alone with adults a lot. I often found myself the only child, and you know, going to dinner with with parents and things like that. And so I feel like from a very young age I've had to think about being alone and being okay with being alone and kind of going against that societal narrative that if you're alone, there's something wrong with you. You know, I think even in movies, in books and narratives, whenever there's a character of someone who was causing trouble or being, you know, malicious, they describe them as a loner. You know, this person was a loner. So it makes sense that they did something something bad. And I really think it's important for us to kind of erase that narrative from our conversations because being alone is actually a really wonderful aspect of life that we can cultivate because there's so many benefits to being alone. And I think when you add in the level of discernment with being alone, you get to choose when you're alone, when you're not. And it gives you that level of power in life of I love being with people, the people who make me feel good, you know, the people who get me, but I also love my own company. So I think there's the first key is like discernment of when you do want to be alone and when you want to be with people. And then secondly, learning to love your own company. And that's obviously not, that's a tall order. It's easier said than done because for so many of us, We have lots and lots of layers of self-doubt and judgment and self-loathing that we have to work through to actually become our own best friends. But I think those two pieces can really start to help us feel alone and then also be fortified by being alone and being in our own company.
3: I love that, Michelle, because you're right. It isn't, it's not, it is easier said than done. And I think I'll go back to one of my standard answers, just about everything is society really, you know, paints the picture that it's not okay to be alone. I, I like, I like my own company. I feel comfortable being alone. So I feel like it, one of the ways to start training yourself to feel comfortable being alone is to not let other people dictate to you what is okay. And so I like to. I go to, I go, I'll go to lunch or breakfast or dinner by myself and I'll walk into a restaurant and first thing the person will say one and I'll say, yes, just one. Or, I mean, first thing the person will say, are you only one? And I'll say, yes, one, please. And so it's like, it's not common for people to be okay with people being out to eat alone or going to a movie alone or doing those kinds of things alone. So I think we already have it drilled into us, into our psyche or into our minds that, wow, there's something wrong with you if you're alone. If you're going to places alone or if you're, if you're even alone. So I think it's really important to, as you said, Michelle, start to enjoy your own company and and start maybe looking into what is it that makes me feel uncomfortable being alone and are the thoughts that are making me feel uncomfortable true? Mm. Because there's nothing wrong with being alone. And then if you start to think, well, I'm actually lonely, then that's a whole different thing that you brought up too, Michelle, that idea of being lonely versus alone. If you're feeling lonely, it's the same thing. Maybe I need to go out with a friend or, you know, what is it? So I feel I'm such a big proponent of this in my own life. I'm always asking myself questions. If I'm starting to feel bored or if I'm starting to feel alone or if I'm starting to feel lonely while I'm alone, I'll ask myself, what's going on with you, Barb? What's happening inside of you right now? What are you actually feeling? And I know you say this a lot, Michelle, how do you want to feel? So what is the feeling behind not being comfortable alone? And is it that you're concerned about what other people will think think, or that you are not good enough or that if it's one of those kinds of things that is not true, then it's really helpful to start understanding what is the relationship that you do have with yourself and start being okay, being you and being okay. What do I really love? How do I want to feel? What do I really like about myself?
2: Absolutely. And one one of the things that I that came to mind as you were talking is I, I can remember as a kid or maybe a teenager in high school, one of the real instances where I started to have judgment for being alone is like, you know, if, if you weren't invited to go out with your friends that weekend or you didn't get invited to the party or you weren't asked to go on a date, you, you know, all of those things I think as kids or young adults where we start to feel Like if I'm not doing what other people are doing, I'm somehow being rejected and I'm not good enough and people don't like me. And so my being alone is a side effect of my ability to be liked or my ability to be worthy to to do the things that I think I should be doing. And those are really painful feelings to feel. It's especially as a, a kid or a teenager, feeling like you're being rejected or not wanted is, is really hard. And so certainly it makes sense that we're not comfortable with being alone when we have those experiences in our younger years that fuel those feelings. But if you can somehow in those moments, take advantage of the time alone and put them, put it to use in some sort of productive way, like connecting with yourself or, you know, really knowing that your loneliness is not a sign of your worthiness, reinforcing the truth of your alone, of being alone, not being lonely that, okay, so those people didn't invite me out. Maybe they're not my people. And where can I find people who would think of me on a Friday night that would want me to come to the movies with them or whatever? You know, I think each situation, even if it's painful, is maybe showing us somewhere that we can maybe take a different action. And if you're feeling like you're being left out or that you're not being included and that's putting you in situations where you're constantly alone, ask yourself, like, do I have the right people in my life? Is there somewhere that I can or something that I can start to engage with, like a hobby or a class where maybe I can meet like minded people? that will start to make me feel like I have a circle that won't exclude me. I think that's another piece of the equation as well.
3: I think so too. And I think lastly, I would just reinforce making sure that you like things about yourself, you know, like make a list. What are the things that I like about myself? What are the things that I like about being alone? There are certain, there there are definitely certain aspects about when we are alone that we like instead of buying into the, the thoughts in the mind that are telling you it's because you're unworthy or it's because you're not liked or it's because you're not good enough or all the things. Everybody else has someone to be with but me. None of those thoughts are true. We don't know what other people's lives are like. So really starting to cultivate that relationship with yourself. So make a list of all the things that you really like about yourself. What do you like about doing things alone? All just start to really little by little start to really understand that that relationship that you have with yourself truly is the foundation of every other relationship you will have in life. So the more that you can fortify as you said Michelle using that I love that word, fortify that relationship with yourself. the more your relationships with other people in life, everything in life will grow and be that much richer or that much stronger.
2: Totally and I will say too, because i was alone a lot like i i used to hate being alone and want to have siblings or lots of friends or you know have all of that judgment but the way that my my life unfolded i was alone so often and it really forced me to build a relationship with myself that was actually healthy and and like my own company and that allowed me to be someone who traveled alone i mean i've traveled Many places far, far away from home for long periods of time by myself. I go to eat or go to a coffee shop by myself. I do a lot, a lot of stuff by myself. And I feel like that is a strength that I'm proud of because I know that I can rely on myself in that way, which is kind of cool. So if you're someone who has judgment for it, try and flip that, you know, conversation in your mind about it and use it as a strength of how cool is it that I can can be alone and and use that to my advantage?
3: And just one more thing, I think you're the you are a great example, Michelle, of someone who has that deep connection with yourself, that relationship with yourself, because you are also very comfortable being with people. So you you really are that a true example of the stronger your relationship is with yourself, and how comfortable you can be being with yourself, has made your relationships in life deeper and richer. You are definitely that example.
2: Yay! Well, we could have made a whole episode about this.
3: Every question could Isn't be its own that episode. How
0: it happens?
3: Definitely. But, um,
2: let's take a break before getting into the next one
0: And we are back. So the
2: next one I want to dive into, she's bracing herself. We've had questions about this. I wanted to talk about this. It's timely for you in a lot of ways. I think it's always timely for a lot of us, but it's also hard. And overcoming breakups. She just gave me a look. No, that is. How to overcome a breakup. It's been a year and a half since we split up and I still miss him and feel guilty. And that this question is how I know that we all go through similar experiences and have similar feelings and
3: we're not alone. Yeah, definitely not alone. I think this is truly one of the top questions that we always get because we are... Let's face it. We are in relationship with everything in life. So people being at the top of the list, right? People are at the top of the list of being in relationships with people. And so I think when we fall in love or when we care deeply about a friend or a loved one, or, I mean, we we care from the inside out. You know, our heart gets broken. Our heart gets warmed. Our heart gets really involved. And so I think we have to understand that this is normal, that breakups happen all the time. People are in our life for a reason, you know, or a season. That whole thing is very, very, very true. Not every person is meant to be in our lives for the duration. And I think if we can really start to get that, but I think what's helped me the most in understanding breakups, because you and I have been through, a lot of breakups here the past few years, well, certainly with my divorce, but also breakups with friends. We were ghosted a few years ago. So we've had, a, we've had a, a good amount of this kind of coming at us in the past couple of years. And so what I've really discovered through all of this, when I was trying to go through this breakup that was a ghosting, what I really finally came to is what I, I was trying to not like the people or like the person. I was trying to demonize. Yeah, not demonize. I was trying to say, oh, well, this is for the best. Oh, they weren't this way anyway. Oh, I really didn't. I was trying to find all the things that I didn't like about the relationship. And I was trying to really make it for the best and, you know, put that spin on it that, well, life, you know, sends you everything, which is all true. You know, I say spin, but it's all true. All those things that we teach and all those things that we know are all true, but it still hurts. And so when I finally allowed myself to feel the pain of it, crying about it. And even with my marriage, with everything. So I'm I'm gonna say this is what helps me the most is honoring the love that I have for the people, for the person, honoring the love that I and probably still on some level do have some care and love for for the people that that you know we have the breakups with. I think to try to deny yourself, I know for me to try to deny myself the feelings that I had was a big problem because then it kept my mind kept saying, well, I got to figure this out because I can't really like them anymore. I can't love them anymore. But for me, I've learned that if I feel the feelings deeply and then understand all the things that went wrong that made the breakup okay to happen, not that any of it's really okay, but at the end of the day, There there are things that we are aware of that would cause a breakup to happen. You start to get the clarity of, oh, wow, I got this hit back then, and I see this happening now, and I see this happening now. I feel a lot freer now. Something feels like this could be okay that I am broken up, but it's still sad. I think if you can allow those two things to come together, it's okay that the breakup has happened, and especially with this question, it's been one and a half years, you can still care about the person or love the person or like the person. Don't try to talk yourself out of those feelings, but also don't try to talk yourself out of why you broke up to begin with. So it's really kind of a a mixed bag of those things. Honor the relationship. It was what it was. What happened happened. You did what you needed to do. The relationship is over that particular phase of the relationship is over and don't try to talk yourself out of the feelings that you had. And I'm going to say it again. Don't talk yourself out of the feelings that you had, but also don't talk yourself out of the fact that the relationship is over. And that is a meaningful thing in its own and something to be connected with and be okay with, but you don't have to get rid of the love or the caring. And that takes time. It really does take time. Just knowing that, I don't want to say time heals all wounds because let's face it, some healing takes very, very, very long time. But getting some separation and some space and and giving yourself the chance to grieve and honor it starts to make it feel okay. And the other part about feeling guilty, the person said that they feel guilty, write down everything you feel guilty about and really get clarity on it. My, for me, when I did that in several situations, the guilt was me trying to hang on to the relationship and trying to change it in some way. Like, oh, it was my fault or pass blame or tried. I just wasn't okay with this was happening. And so honoring that it's happening and not trying to change the narrative of what is. And I had a teacher say to me, I'm done. I had a teacher say to me, Barb, When I was talking, he was a, he was a, he's also a spiritual teacher, but he's also a psychologist. And he said to me once, Barb, it takes what it takes. And I don't know if that's hitting you in a very profound way, but it changed my life.
2: It is profound.
3: It takes what it takes. And if you really can get that, it takes what it takes, because I was feeling bad that my divorce was taking so long. And I just said, Barb, it takes what it takes. And Mm. now that it's done, I am, I feel like it's, it was the perfect timing. Because it takes what it takes.
2: Well, our time, it's always divine time, timing. So that was all amazing. The only thing that I would want to add is, or to piggyback on, is that, you know, a breakup, especially a romantic breakup, you're grieving. It's grief. You know, the person might still be alive, but it's its grief of a relationship that was meaningful to you, that's no longer. And, you know, when we talk about grief in the aspect of someone who has passed away, you know, we often say that, you know, grief is the reminder of a love that existed that's not in its original form, but is still there. And that's true for people who are still alive. You know, one day you're in a relationship where you're loving and things are in a way where you're feeling like this is something that's going to be in your life forever. And the next day you're not. And so I don't think that feelings just switch on and off like that. And so giving yourself the grace and the kindness and the space to allow your mind and your body and your spirit to detangle from a situation takes time. You know, there is no, timetable for processing grief. And so I think that same thought process can be looked at when you're processing a breakup. Don't have judgment for yourself that it's been a year and a half and you're still having feelings because, you know, I I still get pangs of not sadness for past relationships, but people are in your life and they, they, even if you're not, even if it was toxic, they provided something in your life for a period of time that you felt you wanted to have in your life. And there's always levels of um, nostalgia that come with people from your past. And so it's not easy to rid yourself of sadness in a breakup. I mean, I remember when I was going through a really bad breakup, a really hard breakup, in my like late 20s, I think it was. And it was a of a relationship that was a long, long one that took up most of my young adulthood life that I thought that I was gonna marry this person, all of the things. And I remember saying, it was either to you or to my therapist, probably both. Like, am I gonna be sad about this for the rest of my life?
3: You said that to me for sure several times.
2: Because I literally thought that I was because it just was so heavy and difficult and layered and there were so many feelings that I had about it and it wasn't lifting. And I literally, I know for a fact that I thought that I was going to die. I think I said, am I going to die and still be sad about this breakup? Because I truly thought that it was never going to go away. And that is such a painful thing to feel like you're never going to feel released from that grief. And it's been, well, now I'm in my late ish thirties. So 10 ish years. Yeah. And I am, I, I do not feel grief about that anymore, but it took time. And I think that that's the thing to remember is your feelings are like waves. They come and they go. Some days you feel totally free of things. Sometimes a memory will pop into your head and you'll feel sad or sometimes you'll run into a person that'll bring back memories, whatever it might be. So just know that it's not linear and it takes time and don't have judgment for how long it takes.
3: I love that, Michelle. That's so beautiful. And I think the last thing that I would say about it is if you are feeling guilty, dispel the guilt. It's really important because the guilt is blocking you from moving forward. The guilt is written, written stories about that. It's blocking your feelings and it's blocking you from being able to move forward and just truly understanding that this is not the end of your story. As you were saying to me, Michelle, I know you asked me that many times, mom, is this, is, is, am I going to feel this way forever? It's not the end of your story. This is just a chapter in your story and realizing that, you know, the best is yet to come. And I know that all sounds very, fluffy, but it's true. And once you start to just at least let go little by little by little, or start to really honor your feelings in the relationship the way it was and not try to make it anything other than what it was, the more you will start to feel the weight start to lift a little bit, a little bit. Like you said, though, it's not on a timeline.
2: Yeah. And having people who you can rely on or lean on during those really difficult moments is really important too. Even if it's just one person who you can reach out to and say like, I'm having a really hard time right now. Can you just help me? Can you talk me through it or remind me that this is this is good and this is okay is also really helpful. Beautiful. But it's really hard. It's hard. I don't know. Heartbreak sucks. So...
3: But better to have our heart broken than to not have our heart feel at all. And I think that's what I've learned. Better to have
2: loved and lost than never loved at all. Oh,
3: that's true. I forgot about that quote, but But
2: it is, it is
3: kind of true. Like you don't want to harden your heart and you, you don't want to feel like, wow, like you used to say to me, it used to make me so sad because you say, mom, am I going to feel this way forever? Open yourself up to knowing that this is life and it's really hard and that your heart is worthy of being loved and giving love.
2: That is an important piece because I think in my personal experience, that breakup that I was talking about and just lots of craziness in life in general really caused me to, or propelled me to be, go to the other end of the spectrum of being super open and vulnerable and loving to like, I have to be super independent and like closed off. And I remember I had a, it was like a psychic or intuitive or something like that say to me once quite a few years ago, like you have a wall up around your heart and you need to tear it down because it's closing you off to letting people in. And I had a conversation about this with someone else recently that that's true. I think sometimes when we get our hearts broken, it's so painful we tell ourselves we can't ever feel something like or don't want to ever go through something like that again. And so we do put up walls around ourselves because we'd rather be alone than feel that again. And like you were saying at the start of this question, relationships are such a beautiful part of our lives that enrich our lives and allow us to feel so many things. And the good relationships are so worth the fear or the potential vulnerability of entering
3: them. That's beautifully said, Michelle. And I think that's that wall you're talking about is, a Is you know, be vulnerable, allow yourself to be vulnerable.
2: Like you can trust people, not all of the people in your life are going to leave or break your heart or disappoint you or walk away. You know, you have those experiences, but you also have really great experiences. So you have to be open because the great experiences... If you have a wall up, you're blocking them all out. So, which that makes me feel like I, there's someone I want to bring on the show who can talk more about that. We'll chat about that later. Oh, good. Well, all
3: cause right. that was certainly something you had to work through. Cause you, I'm still working through you, it. Yeah. I was gonna say you had a wall, you have a wall up. Yeah. Being more vulnerable, being, being okay with being, being yeah. more vulnerable in all the right places. I mean, you know, also being safe cause we're never talking, please remember, we're never talking about, any kind of sexual, physical, mental abuse ever. That is that is something that is it, you're, it's it, it we just we're just not ever talking about that in terms of, you know, trying to see the best in situations and trying to move forward and all of that.
2: Right, right. And I think too this also is something that people who have been in codependent relationships often feel. And that was what was for me. I felt so codependent in so many of my past relationships that when they ended and I felt so much sadness and grief, I told myself, okay, I was codependent and that's why this ended and that's why they didn't want to be with me. So I have to go and be the most independent, you know, strong-willed, do-it-myself kind of person. And there's lots of benefits to being independent and capable of stuff, but there's a middle because people need you to rely on them too. So lots of thoughts. Good. Next, <laughs>
3: next question, please.
2: <laughs> I think that's a whole other episode we could do too. All of them. Oh, definitely. Um, another big question that we got often times question that we got is how to stop catastrophizing, ruminating, overthinking things about life, you know, thoughts in the mind,
3: commentary. Yeah, that's a big one. (laughs) I mean, I think it's, it's, I, I, I hesitated for a second because I think we, it's something that we talk about in, in some way, shape or form almost in every single podcast, because that is the, that is the million dollar question for our lives, How do we stop the mind from overthinking and catastrophizing and being so negative? And I I feel like it's the most important question that we could ever ask ourselves. How can I start to get a handle on these thoughts in the mind? Because as research has shown us, you know, we think about 70,000 thoughts a day with over half of those thoughts, more than half of those thoughts being negative. And then 85% of those negative thoughts are repetitive, so we are always thinking negative things. Our mind is always taking us down a rabbit hole of negative things. So it's, it is the question of the day. And really the only, for me, I think the, the way that it has helped me the most is to start, to start to be able to become aware. How do I become aware of what I'm thinking and then ask myself, is this thought True. So the only way to do that is being able to have a practice that you can slow down a little bit. And when the mind is taking you down a rabbit hole, it's almost like a trigger. Okay. My mind's taking me down the rabbit hole of catastrophizing and making everything the worst it could possibly be. Making that trigger of that happening, making that the trigger that gets you to pause. Okay. Wait a minute. Let me just sit down here for a moment. Let me just take a minute break. If you're at work, let me just go to the bathroom for a minute let me take a break. You have to take a break in that catastrophizing. You have to take a break in those thoughts of the mind, because if you don't, you won't, you will start to believe it. You will start to believe that, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. Oh my gosh, this, I'm so scared because I know this is going to happen. When none of it is true, we don't know anything. We only know what's happening in this very single moment. So you're catastrophizing and you're overthinking and doing all this because your mind has left the moment. Your mind has left the moment. Your body's still here. Your mind is in the past, worrying, ruminating, or it's in the future, scared. Oh my gosh, my life is in ruins. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm scared. I'm nervous. All of the things. So you have to be able to bring your mind back to the present moment. And the only way that I've been able to find that is to have this just like have this, tri- I keep using the word trigger, but I mean, like immediately No, immediately No, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole right now. And the question said rabbit hole. So the person that wrote this knows that they're going down a rabbit hole because they actually identified it as a rabbit hole. So it's really a beautiful place to be. It's a perfect place to be because you get it. I'm in a rabbit hole. And the only way to get out of the rabbit hole is by stopping And I don't mean stopping, you know, for a whole day, just stop for the moment and really start getting a handle and start really becoming aware. What is my mind thinking?
2: I agree. And I think that's really good. I have two, two things to add to that. First, I think that these times that we're living in and all of the uncertainty and difficulty and chaos and loss and challenges set up a perfect storm for our minds to, to catastrophize. Like we've been through a lot of collective trauma. There's a lot of worrying things out there. I mean, for me personally, like I worry about climate stuff every day because it just seems like there's so much happening and there's a lot to feel afraid about. So I think, just wanted to say that if you're finding yourself catastrophizing life and your experiences, I think that's a very normal reaction to so much uncertainty and chaos and difficulty that we've been experiencing, particularly over the past five years or so. And so, you know, just knowing that that's a normal thing, I think, is just something to keep in mind. We've all been through a lot and it's not easy to live in these circumstances. There's every single day so much happening that can make us go into that kind of rabbit hole of things are terrible and I have no hope for anything because things are so bad. And so with that being said, I would you know, remind yourself and encourage you to have boundaries with how much you take in about things that give you anxiety or fear or uneasiness about life in general. You know, I know when I read or watch the news too much, those, you know, hearing all of that stuff feeds into that, oh my God, everything is terrible mentality. So just know your limits and have boundaries with with the stuff that you can control, which is the stuff that you're bringing into your mind on a daily basis. And, you know, obviously be informed and, and stay up to date on stuff, but you don't need to live in that, um, feed and cycle all the time. So have boundaries for sure with the heavy stuff. And then secondly, you know, our minds, like my mom was saying, it's, a practice and our minds are a muscle and we have to train them. And just like you would go to the gym to strengthen your arms or your legs or whatever, we need to strengthen our minds and they can be unruly if we're not practicing. And so really practicing, bringing our minds back when we start to go down a rabbit hole or get out of control or ruminating about things that really aren't productive or meaningful to what's happening in the present, really make a conscientious effort and set an intention to work on that and practice and notice it because it is something that you have to put attention and intention towards. You know, it's all nice and well and good to say, you know, you have all of these thoughts, negative, repetitive, and knowing that to be true, but then what are you going to do with it? So, if I start to notice that I have a thought about something that's giving me a lot of anxiety and ruminating, I have to be, no one else can do this for me. I have to be the one to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm, this is what's true. And I'm going to bring my mind back and think something differently. You know, it's that the grooves in the brain that we talk about all the time, but unfortunately nobody else can do that for us. And we have to be diligent and disciplined to do that training in our minds, which is not always easy, but For me, that is the most effective way to calm the negative chatter.
3: It is. It it is a training. It is actually starting to do something differently and realizing that I'm ruminating, I'm catastrophizing, doing all of those things. And I think really understanding if we can start to take that pause. I love what you just said, Michelle. If we can start to take the pause because the news and everything in the outside world is constantly throwing so much at it. I remember during the the pandemic when, when things were locked down and when things were really scary because we didn't know in the very early days, we didn't really know what was happening. I remember my mind was going out of control for a moment about, oh my gosh, are we going to have a recession? We've got COVID. We've got wildfires happening in the... Because this was getting into summer. We've got wildfires happening. Sports is canceled. Hmm. Um, you know, just all the things that were happening. And then do you guys remember when we had that article about murder hornets that were happening? It was like, <laughs> what? And then we live in Florida, so we were in the middle of hurricane season. So it was like, if I was going to allow my mind to start thinking, it was catastrophizing. Oh, yeah, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. This is happening. But we don't know. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And I think we have to keep... The best we can to train our minds, exactly what you said, Michelle, to be in the present moment, be where your feet are. So when you start to feel that you're basically throwing the kitchen sink at everything, you start contemplating everything in the possibility that could go wrong in your life, just breaking, oh my gosh, I'm kitchen sinking my whole life. Mm-hmm. I'm throwing all these things in. Let me just stop. Wait a minute. Let me bring myself back to the present moment. Because a negative and a positive thought cannot exist in the mind at the same time. It it just can't. Right. So if you can just bring yourself back to the moment and think about something that's positive, think about something that's true. Think about, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I only know what's happening right now in this moment.
2: Yeah, the present moment is where the
3: power is, for sure. Be where your feet are. And this is how you start to train yourself because you start to know automatically. I know automatically. The minute I started murder hornets, this, 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 this. (laughs) The minute I started thinking about all these things, oh my gosh, what could happen? Are we not going to be able to leave our houses? So you all can imagine how we felt back then. The minute I started to feel that, I could feel my heart racing. I could sense the anxiety inside me rising. I just said, wait a minute, Barb, sit down, take a breath, get back here in the present moment. And being a recovering food addict, being a recovering uh, bulimic, I use this all the time and I heard this in treatment. I can do anything for right now that maybe I couldn't do for my whole life. Like you really break it down to the, and that's really like, I can do anything right now in this present moment. I am capable of doing anything in the present moment. So don't even think about the future. Really work hard at training yourself to stay present.
2: Love it. All right. One last, hopefully, quick... Last? Yeah. No, last? Yeah. We time. Well, let's just be a little faster. <laughs> <laughs> time is a ticking. Okay. But I really liked this question and I think it's applicable for so many. I'm trying so hard to be everything for everyone and help them, what if I can't? Which makes me so sad. Yeah.
3: Um, I think we I think the answer to your question, what if I can't, is you can't. It's not possible. And you're such a beautiful person. Anyone that's trying to do everything for everyone, I think just thinking about that idea, how can how can I be everything to everyone and help them? It truly is not possible to be everything to everyone and help them. So maybe breaking it down a little bit and asking yourself, what can I do? What can I do in this moment for this particular person that I care about? What can I do in this moment? What, what, what small thing that I can do and trying not to do everything. Because I think for me, what happens when I think about doing everything, I get, I get, I get in a place of feeling stuck. I really get to that place of, oh my gosh, I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to do. Wow. This isn't working. That isn't working. They're not listening to me or don't they see how this is not helping them where I really start to try to look at situations, say, okay, where, where do I think I could make the most impact? And, and the majority of the time, it's in the smallest little thing. It's in just doing that one thing that I can do is better than doing nothing. So I would say, knowing that you can't, none of us can, no person on the planet can do everything for everyone. And really starting to think, okay, I can't do that. That's not possible. No one can do that. So I'll say, wait a minute, Barb, what can I do? And then really make a list or look at who are the people that I'm trying to help and what are the things that I personally can do that I think will make the best impact for them or be of of the best, be of the greatest help for them. And then I feel good. And the people that I'm helping feel good. They can feel my heart is all in to doing this one thing that I want to do for them.
2: Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think... If you're asking that, obviously you're someone who's a giver, like you were saying too, mom. And that's so beautiful. I think it's so lovely when there are people who want to do things for other people and be there for other people and show up for other people in such a big way. So, you know, honor yourself for that desire to be a giver, but also remember that you have to take care of yourself. Just as you give out to other people, you have to give back to yourself and being everything for everyone means that you're not being anything to yourself. And like you were saying, mom, it's just not possible anyways. So telling yourself that I, that's the idea of doing it isn't possible and I can't be everything to everyone and I don't want to even be everything to everyone. So taking that goal or that goalpost away and knowing that I can be this, for this. I can do this, like you said, for this person and show up in ways that are aligned and powerful and meaningful, but also taking care of yourself too. You know, there's that saying, we often reference it, you can't pour from an empty cup. So if you're not also showing up for yourself, taking care of yourself in your quest for taking care of other people, it's going to lead to burnout and frustration. And then ultimately you feeling bad about yourself because you can't show up like you want to for other people. And so my take on this is just constantly reminding yourself that I don't know how we, the lie that we told that we could be there, be everything for everyone. Cause this is something that I struggled with a lot too. Knowing that you can't and figuring out, like my mom was saying, what are the things that I can do and feeling so confident and good about those things, knowing that your care and love and energy for other people is enough. People appreciate love in any form and it doesn't have to be overarching, life-changing kind of care. In fact, there are so many times where I have friends that do small things that seem so meaningless, but that means so much for me. And so just knowing that people appreciate your love and care and support and it doesn't have to be like... Life changing and earth shattering to be meaningful.
3: I think it's even. I want to. I want to th- say. I think it's even more meaningful in the the times that I've done the one small thing because it's more consistent or it happens more often. Right. And people really appreciate that caring and that loving that you were talking about, Michelle, in in our lives. And I think it makes a big difference. And I think we could do one more because I, I just see this one other question. And then I promise all of you. We will get to the other questions because you have so many great questions about in-laws, about narcissistic behaviors, about bullying. So I promise you, if you've written a question like that, I promise we will get to it. But this one's quick. How to stop caring what other people think of us and other people's opinions of us. And I think of your quote that you've used in all of your work so much that is my favorite quote. Other people's opinions have other people's energies. Stay in alignment with who you are in your own truth. And so I think it's a very you you can't control other people's thoughts about you, you can't control other people's opinions about you. You can only be true to yourself. To thine own self be true. Because if you abandon yourself, what's left? Be your biggest advocate. Be your biggest self. Allow other people to have their opinions without you even needing to comment, justify, compare, fix, change. Just let them be. When you are in alignment with yourself, you're being true to yourself. And that is the most important thing in life that you can do. So other people's opinions have other people's energies. Be in alignment with your own truth, in alignment with yourself.
2: Yeah, and I would say if you like yourself and love yourself and you're not harming anyone, other people's opinions with, of you don't matter. And you don't even need to know them. You, you can't make every person in the world like you. Cause you don't like every single person in the world. And so just remembering that, you know, as long as you're staying aligned with who you are and what you want and you're not harming anybody, other people's judgments and opinions really don't matter and are none of our business.
3: And they're not in your shoes. My mother used to say all the time, you're not walking in my shoes. You have no idea how I feel or what I think. And I've never forgotten that because it's served me so well. When I start to ruminate about what other people think of me and people pleasing and all of that, you you have no idea what other people are thinking. You have no idea what they're go- what's going on. So their opinions are a byproduct of their own perceptions, and they truly have nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you. And so just let it be, but really be in alignment, as you were saying, Michelle, with your own truth and your own views about yourself, because they're not going where you're. They're not going where you're going. They've never been where you're going because they've not walking in your shoes.
2: Yeah, exactly. See, I
3: kept that one short. You
2: did. Good job. Thank you so much for everyone who wrote in the questions. Like we said, we will incorporate all of them in the topics into other episodes. So fear not.
3: Yes. Love thank- you all so much, Michelle. This was fun. And I love so all of you fun. so much. I love this community. I'm so grateful for all of you. I Feel very, very blessed. And thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and be a part in, being a part of this wonderful community and being a supporter of the show. We are so, so grateful for all of you. If you'd like to stay in touch with us and ask other questions or have topic requests, make sure you're keeping up with us on social media at Peaceful Barb at Michelle Maros at Barb Knows Best Pod. That's the best way to do so. Make sure you are liked and subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss a new episode. And lastly, if you haven't yet, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes or Spotify and leave a review. It's so helpful. It means so much to us. And we're so, so grateful when you do it. It helps the show immensely. Lastly, we do still have some BKB merch for sale and are going to be coming out with some new styles. So keep a lookout for that. But if you want some now, check the link in the show notes to see what's available. Thank you so much again for listening. Thank you, Mom. And we will chat with you next week because, as we know, Barb knows best. Bye.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.